0: BAM Hello and welcome to the final episode in our independent booksellers mini-series for the Selection Box Irishman Abroad's Arts and Culture Podcast. The Arts and Culture Podcast Selection Box will continue, of course. We'll be going off new directions and Tom Dunn will be back with his selections for books and music. We may even get Kevin Gildee back on, but I'm hoping to start bringing in authors and really extending this series for our patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad, where you can get access to our our full back catalogue of episodes from the last eight years episode notes from sonia sullivan irishman running abroad and of course the wonderful marion mckeon every friday looking at american politics but this has been an awful lot of fun to put together big shout out to deck ryan for directing me towards this idea and really getting behind it and helping me make the introductions and get to meet some extraordinary individuals uh, who run their own bookshops across Ireland. Well, joining me today is one such person, Mary Ruddy, who runs Books at One in Letterfrack. Now, this is full circle, isn't it, Mary? Because we started the series of books at one in Lewisburg. so I thought maybe the best way to kick things off is to get, find out your story and how the Letter Frack Store came about.
1: Oh well, first of all, Jareth, it's, it's a real privilege to be on your podcast. They're they're fabulous series that you you've done, and we've I've heard some of them. I suppose the background to it is we're based in in Letter Frack and. We are publishers under the name of Artisan House Publishers. Hmm. We've been publishing since 2013. And we used to supply our books to Books at One in Lewsburg and really loved visiting that bookshop. You know, it, it has such a really welcoming atmosphere and we had a lovely relationship with them. And then maybe some years later, maybe in 2017 or 18 or so, we read an article around Christmas time. Actually, my husband, Vincent Murphy, read this article and he said, gosh, wouldn't that be just a lovely fit for us here? And I have to admit, my initial thought was we have enough on our plate with the publishing. But as time Mm. went on, we did explore it further and we talked with the One Foundation and they seemed to think we'd be a good fit as well. So over the past couple of years, we progressed that further. And finally, just before Christmas this year, we opened Books at One Letterfrack so we were the second in the in the family of Books at One. And um, of course, then with the pandemic, we ha- I think we had a ten day opening and had to close for the next four months, more or less. And we reopened just at the end of May again.
0: Well, uh, you know, I was really delighted that you could do this episode, Mary, because, as you say, with the Uh, publishing side of this, you know, it's a new perspective and a perfect perspective to close off the series, to give people a little idea of the books at One Letter Frack. It's located in this former Quaker workshop in the village of Letter Frack on the edge of Connemara National Park. And that workshop, correct me if I'm wrong, that's an extremely old workshop. 1850 is the year that I, I see down here. Is that right?
1: That's yeah, yeah, it's um, it, the village of Letharpac has an interesting history. Unfortunately, mostly it's it's known for the industrial school in the more of recent course. history. But prior to that, I, I suppose, like particularly the west coast of Ireland, the area suffered extremely badly during the, the famine. And the Quakers were very active in reporting to the in the UK press about conditions in Ireland and one reader of these reports was the Ellis family, John and Mary Ellis from Bradford in the UK, very the textile um, merchants. Mm. And they were so moved by the reports that literally they lock, stock and barrel. The family moved from, I'm sure, a very uh, luxurious existence in Bradford and came to settle in Letterfrack where they built a lovely stone building, which is now the monastery hostel. And that was their residence. But they also built a, a prayer ha- a meeting house and they built um, trades uh, workshops. And we are mm. located in one of those in a terrace. So, in fact, th- that village really was, found, is, was founded as a Quaker village, albeit by one family. And the Ellis's are very warmly remembered. They weren't proselytizers. They simply were trying to give relief to families. They were very good employers. They paid above the going rate, which was abysmally low for others. It probably didn't endear them to other landlords in the area, but it certainly endeared them to the people of the area. And those workshops, our particular one was a forge and continued as a forge right up until the industrial school closed. And then there was a shoemakers, a tailors. A carpenter's, um, a seamstress, so that's the history of the of the workshop we're in. So, it is. It's a, a building of, what is it, a hundred and sixty, seventy years oh, now. Un- unbelievable, and uh, uh,
0: kind of symmetrical in so many ways in the in the story of books of one that they would have read something and then take an action (laughs) to do something about it. Talk to me a bit about Artisan House, because that's obviously where you had invested so much of your life with your partner, Vincent Murphy. When did that begin? And at any point during it, did you dream that you'd have your own bookshop?
1: You know, I think a lot of people dream of owning a bookshop, actually, Jarlith, Mm. as a kind of retirement project, you know, bookshop, little coffee area. And I suppose somewhere in our minds, we thought, wouldn't that be really lovely to have a little small coffee area, little bookshop. Uh, So it was maybe there, but as really more as a dream uh, than as a a plan until we saw the Books at One. And really, had it not been for the One Foundation of Books at One, we really wouldn't have been able to realise it because it is a 170 year old building. It needed to be, you know, really upgraded to meet Um, the standards of today with, you know, fire safety, disability access and so forth. So that really was only feasible with the generous support from the One Foundation. And we really want to acknowledge Declan Ryan, the foundation, Joanne Hunter, I know you've talked to all of the people at the One Foundation because it could not have been realised without their their support, um, not just financial, but you know, in terms of advice and backup and so forth and expertise. So the the artisan house Vincent had is a graphic designer, had worked a lot on um, book design, but also had worked in um, product branding and so forth. But loved book design and. My background isn't isn't really in books, other than I love reading books. So but the combination wasn't a bad one. So Vincent would take care of all of the design elements of the book. And I would kind of take charge of the editorial end of it. So in-house, we were able to take from concept, which very often was what it was. Sometimes we'd just be approached with an idea. But if it appealed to us, we would work very closely with the authors to develop the book. Mm. And um, we took on books that we were interested in rather than necessarily very commercial projects and and well again we loved we loved the the publishing end of it but as a small publisher it is difficult to be sustainable
0: yeah yeah so I, I do great. love these books i know you say that they're uh, you know they were passion projects all of them like when i look at the collection here on the site i mean they are the books that when you are home visiting Ireland as an Irish person abroad returning, they are the ones that you know you kind of stumble upon in an independent bookshop, like celebrating Irish salmon, for example, a My book that first you'll
1: book morning come on yeah, and yeah,
0: you would never find that book anywhere else in the world, <laughs> but here you are, and when you're away from home, having that book on the table or on the shelf. Uh, it, it, there's something comforting about it. What, w- tell us a little bit about that book, given that it's obviously a very significant one, being the first one.
1: It was. It, it's very close to our hearts, I have to admit. Uh, Maureen O'Khman is a, a home economics teacher, as they were called at the, uh, in their day. <laughs> yeah. um, Maureen used to do a, a, tel- a naughty programme on telephysharing called Maureen's Kishteen. Okay, and she's from South Connemara, so we're we're both Connemara women, and she her father was a ghillie. so Maureen grew up with fish, very knowledgeable, you know, not from what she read in books, but you know, her mother cooked fish, her father caught them, so she really has a kind of a, a font of knowledge. And then she was a home economics teacher, and she's a very good cook, so she had developed a whole range of recipes. And then she had good contacts in Ireland with, you know, restaurants, fish restaurants, and she invited them on board to give their favourite salmon recipe. So there's a lot of, of recipes with salmon, but it's a very versatile fish, so you can do a lot with it. And then we were very fortunate um a very good friend of Vincent's was Walter Pfeiffer, who was, I suppose, one of Ireland's, probably Ireland's top food photographer. Mm. And um we had a very enjoyable three or four days with Walter in his studio preparing the food and doing the food photography yeah and i'd say
0: that was it, enjoyable i said there was a fair bit it, of uh, <laughs> extra salmon going at the end of the day
1: it was it was a really nice time but and I, so that was our our first publication y- and yeah. um you know, it is a niche in, in fairness. It, you know, it's not just a fish book, it's a it's a, a salmon book. So it was niche, but it's it's a book we're really proud of and really fond of. And it, it led to other things. You know, one of the, the chefs that gave us a recipe for the book was uh, Michael O'Mara from Oscars in Galway. And Michael, having seen the salmon, approached us with an idea again for a kind of a, a more uh, like an encyclopedia of fish, and he had a particular interest in sustainability. You know, to encourage chefs to look not just at the the fish, that the the hake, the salmon, the trout, but to look at at uh, fish that fishermen were were catching, but there wasn't a market for. So um, he had a huge range of recipes for various types of fish, and that that book eventually became Seagastronomy and won us an award that was given in China at the World Gourmand Award in 2016. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting how one project leads to another.
0: So I picked this book today because... I really enjoyed it. I think it's a really good idea. And I also think it's a good present You're possibility. to The Selection like, Box, exclusively available to... from Irish Abroad Premium on Patreon.com. I love this book. It's called Boy on Far by Michael Mark Morgy. And what I loved about it was it's dealing with the early years of his life. From
1: There was one book that I was dipping into, The Power of Full Engagement. I'm mad for these business type books.
0: Yeah, I love Kevin Barry's work. I first got into him when uh, his first book is short. I think he's a brilliant short story writer. His novels are great. So it never occurred to me that like anybody would be interested in reading books written by an Irish woman in an Irish accent. But yeah, I read the short story. I liked it. Something inside of me said, you could do something like that. You know, a book is a way of starting a conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's true, the interaction with people that we can build on this sense of community. I think the independent bookshop has that air of, I just the crack and the fun with people, and discussing with people what
1: they're interested in.
0: You know, when I look and I think about how this, how we arrive at this point, to having this conversation about this new bookstore, and you know, kind of directing people towards it. It seems like that's a talent throughout your life, Mary, that getting things up and running from from small, small beginnings would be, you know, a talent of yours. I see you're the founding member and first manager of the Connemara Community Radio from the studio from which I'm speaking to you now, is there is it would you regard it as something that's in you that you get a kick out of because it feels like across the entire series, now looking back on the ten episodes, That's that urge and that that little germ that's in uh, people that create their own bookstore. It's rare, but it seems to take hold And that even when people are telling them this will never work, that seems to be fuel for the fire.
1: But I should acknowledge and and thank the the studio here for for allowing me to use uh, their Skype and the studio for this interview with you, Jarlath. Yeah, the the radio was was really dear to my heart. I I just love I love radio as as much as I love books Mm. and and particularly the model of community radio, which thankfully this, this station was founded in 1995 And it's still running strong and vibrant and has become a service in the area that everybody just expects to to continue forever. And I certainly hope it will. Um, It's um, you know I think we probably are the smallest radio station in Ireland because given the population we serve you know we we cover probably a huge area but it's mainly mountains and a lot of the Atlantic Ocean so it is one of the smaller community stations but I I think it's regarded as one of the more successful ones also I can feel
0: the modesty kicking in there Mary (laughs) as I uh, put that question to you that like no one likes to say yeah this is Something I'm good at is is difficult projects and developing things that um, you're passionate about. But, you know, the, the bookstore and the radio is not a million miles apart and that, as we've learned across the ten episodes, they both provide a function within the community and they aren't just a retailer or a place from which you can sell advertising in the case of the radio. You understood and yourself and Vincent clearly get that. Books at One and the project of Books at One as a wider concept that hopefully will make its way around the country is around connecting up the independent bookstore to the needs uh, of the community. Was that something that was talked about from the very start? And is it still something that gets talked about today?
1: Yeah, I suppose I do recall that when when we were setting up the station initially, we had a period when we were on air. And then we had to go off air. Basically, we were pirates initially. Mm. And then we had to go off air and we ended up being off air for about five years. But I always remember a letter coming into the station shortly after, even though we'd been only operating about a year or so, coming in, um, this woman saying how much she had enjoyed the radio, how sorry she was, it was gone. And then she used this phrase, she said, it's the first time I felt that I lived in the centre of my universe. And I th- that's so interesting because I suppose if you live in an area like this and grow up in it, if you do you hear it referred to at all, it's being as remote. But mm. of course, if you live there, it's not remote. It is the center of the universe. Yeah. And I think suddenly if you turn on the radio and people are talking about your village and what's going in and on in it and what's going to be happening and what are the issues and what are the fun things that are happening. And you're playing musicians, not exclusively local, of course, but they're in there and the mix is good as, you know, as, as well as everybody else. It does shift your perspective about where you live, that it's not this remote peripheral place. And if you need things to happen, you have to move somewhere where you hear uh, where the discussion all seems to be to be focused on. Yeah. And I think a bookshop is the same, that if, you know, th- that villages and towns that have bookshops, it just adds to the vibrancy of the area that, again, it's not some not a service you have to travel to avail of, that it is that you do live in this area that has services like bookshops, it's not essential, possibly, although I think it is essential. You know, it's, it's like when libraries were set up. I mean, it probably was one of the most revolutionary things to happen. Free libraries. You know, people were suddenly given access to all these books, ideas. It is. It's you know, the
0: ideas, isn't it? It's yeah. The, it's, it's, it's this funnel through which things can be attained as well. And I, I've always loved talking to the sellers that we've had on. About this thing of somebody coming in with an unusual request and going that route through the independent bookstore or as the listeners will know, wherever they are in the world, there's probably a bookstore near enough to you where you could go in and talk about the subject, not knowing uh, what it is that you're actually looking for, but then walking out with the book you didn't know you needed in your life. That's the the satisfaction, is it not, of Mm -hmm. being the bookseller?
1: Yeah. And, you know, when you come across a book and you think, oh, this is so beautiful and, you know, you're, you're telling customers about it. But in exchange then they're telling you about a book that they've just read, that they really love, that you really should have in the shop. So it's lovely. It's a lovely exchange. Mm. I wanted to... As we're nearing the end, as I said
0: of this this series, which has been a joy to put together, and I hope that if people are just tuning now tuning in now to episode ten, that they'll go back and enjoy the various different conversations from the the four corners of Ireland that we need to talk a little bit about the rise of the independent bookstore and how, in a lot of ways this ser this mini series is created just to remind people in the way I did with the episode with my wife that The pandemic isn't over for a lot of people. There was probably a sense among listeners, particularly people that are switched on uh, technologically to the bookstore being over and that if you want a book, you can now snap your fingers and it'll arrive at your door. But in so doing, you're missing out on the beauty of the book buying and selling experience. Do you think that uh, that is what's fueling the rise of the independent bookstore, or does it have a lot more to do with people recognizing the benefits of the machine and essentially going, "I've seen that, and I prefer this"?
1: Yeah, it's. it's I, I think it, there'll be very interesting um, papers and books written about the pandemic and, and shifts in attitudes that that is kind of that it was the catalyst for and, you know, maybe attitude to not just books, I think, but supporting local, supporting Irish in the case of Ireland. And I suppose maybe the same in other parts of the world that, you know, I suppose we are so much part of a global community, as is so evident now with the way that the virus spread, but at the same time, how reliant we become on what's available locally Mm. when something like that happens and when you can't travel. And I know a lot of people have gone online, and they they're shopping online now. And they probably the convenience of that was probably you know remarkable and fantastic. But a lot of the the small bookstores like ourselves, even even though we were only opened at Christmas, what we did during the pandemic was to develop our website so people could buy online. And you know that probably into the future will continue. But it's no replacement for you know, visiting a bookshop and having that experience. And I think people probably will f- find that they they missed it and and will value it now that they're able to do that again. I certainly hope so.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that there's no doubt about that. And uh, even just the thoughts of driving back to Ireland uh, this week when uh, we pack up the car and head back, it's yeah, it's just it's just the idea of that is what's exciting me. It's just the idea of getting back into these places. But when I passed through Letter of Rack the last time and it's nearly impossible to disassociate the place itself with that history and the industrial school that you mentioned. It'd be wrong of me not to mention it in the episode. Do people often come into the shop and want to learn the history of what took place?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we started the radio here first, um, we, we would often look out and we would immediately know if you saw an elderly man, sometimes on their own or very often with the family, that and just the way they were walking around the building that they had been residents there. Hmm. And we did actually do a few interviews with, with them if they were agreeable to doing it at the time. And you now they weren't a representative sample because very often the people who came back would be people who had done OK in their lives, you know, had some stability, had family around them, which wouldn't have been true for an awful lot of the boys who would have been here. That when they were let out at 16, it would have very little support. Hmm. A lot, you know, I know in homeless figures and so forth, that they would feature very highly. So that's happening less and less, of course, now because the school closed in 1973. So. Uh, the boys are moving on in age, so we don't see so many of them. But people are, you know, intrigued with it, and because it's still a live issue, I suppose. Because, and there was a book just published very recently by what was it, eleven two? Uh, it's it was his number when he was in the in in industrial school. So yeah, people are, and the, the building, of course, is here that what the the Quakers built. We're at the rear now of what was the industrial school that was built in the 1890s, purpose built. You know, with the big dormitory and classrooms and so forth, and it it compared to our workshop, it it's very institutional. You know, it is an institution rather than a, a home in any way. So the building is very obvious and very obvious that it was an institution.
0: Hmm. It's a book. The book that's appearing in front of me now is called "Boy 11963 by John Cameron. I mean, I mean that's a book that I think everyone should have in their collection, or at least devote some time to this summer. And if you are passing through Mayo or Connemara, make a point of getting out to Letterfrack and Books at One or Loosberg. This was the beginning with Joanne Hunter talking us through how books at one works as a concept and you know it sparked my imagination and it caught hold with the listeners who have enjoyed every step of this series and i see that in the messages that i receive along the way and hopefully uh yeah i will get out there in the next week or two to once i've done my quarantine to visit the new store but uh mary thank you so much for taking the time to do this it seems like the perfect way to have ended the series
1: Charlie thank you so much and uh, we, we very much look forward to seeing you in books that one and letter Frack. and uh, thank you again for including us in your podcast
0: absolutely well jigsaw.e are my chosen charity partner if you'd like to support them this week they could really do with your help they've seen a 400% jump in demand for their services and what they do is equip young people in Ireland across all communities with the mental health skills they'll need to survive beyond the pandemic. They're an ear and a shoulder for those young people who maybe can't talk to anyone close to them at this point in time and just need a little bit of help with resilience or simply just somebody to talk to. Jigsaw.ie If you have a young person in your life, chances are they could do with a little bit of help there. That's Jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of Irishmen Abroad and all our podcasts I'll be back on Friday with Marion McKeown for more Irishman in America and of course the big interview is back again on Sunday. Mary Ruddy thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much Charles.